0: Hello. My name is Stanley Bill. You're listening to Notes from Poland. This week I'm talking to Juliet Breton, an expert on Polish popular culture of the interwar period. We'll be talking about the music, the films, the characters, and listening to seven classic songs of the 1920s and 30s along the way. NotesFromPoland.com is the leading English-language source of news, insight and analysis on Poland. In this podcast, I look at the country from all angles. Politics, history, culture and society. You can get more news and the deeper stories about Poland at NotesFromPoland.com. This week, my guest is Juliet Breton who is a contributing writer for Notes from Poland, but also an authority on and collector of all things related to interwar Polish culture. Welcome to the podcast, Juliet.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Today we're going to take a journey through the popular music of interwar Poland. We'll be talking about the history and the characters, but also listening to songs from some of the best-known artists of the period, from tango to cinema, from Mieczysław Fogg to Eugeniusz Bodo and the Eastern Sounds of Lwów. Listeners can find the lyrics to the songs in the notes to this episode. I want to start with a question about what drew you into this, how you started this fascination that you have for the whole period of the 1920s and 30s in Poland, and especially the music, film, and other forms of popular culture of this period.
1: Um, So this kind of began with my family roots. So my grandparents, my father's parents, were born in what was Poland. But they came over after the war and then never really spoke about anything again. So I've always been interested in trying to revive that kind of Polish interest in our family, that Polish history. And I just kind of stumbled across these songs purely by chance one day on, on YouTube and just completely fell in love with them. I mean, it's just phenomenal music, it's unlike anything I've ever heard before um, and yeah and, and, and as a result I kind of collect, I collect these old records and all these brittle uh, pieces of shellac they are and, and write about it and, and learn more about it. It's a really fascinating period. <laughs>
0: I completely agree. The 1920s and 30s in Poland is an amazing time because you have this new state that's come into existence or come back into existence after around 125 years uh, almost um, of partition between three empires. And you have these three different parts that come together in a new independent state. It's a dynamic period. It's a chaotic period. There are a lot of challenges that the new state faces, but it's especially exciting in culture. So literature. There are all kinds of interesting developments of avant garde and other literary groups uh, in in this period. It's an interesting period in cinema. It's a very interesting period in popular culture in general. We see sort of this dynamic development of the beginnings of Polish popular culture. That's what fascinates you. Can you give us a bit of a background to how this process unfolds in newly independent Poland in the nineteen twenties and thirties?
1: Yeah, and I mean you're exactly right to talk about you know the the regaining of independence. That's when this all kind of begins. And it's that enthusiasm and also the youth of some of these really, really talented musicians and performers. And they kind of come together, they establish cabarets. So probably the most famous is Quiproquo, which was in Warsaw. It was in the basement of the Luxembourg Gallery. And this just became this this whole centre, this hub of song of comedy. All of the characters became their own little, they were really beloved characters in Warsaw. So these are the
0: characters created uh, by these actors or musicians, they're they're sort of Mm -hmm. musical characters, or how, how does this work in the cabarets at this time?
1: Yeah, so they were singing, there were also comedy skits. Um, so it was a mixture of everything, really, dancing. Uh, but it, it becomes this world, this little, almost like a club. So if you knew the in-jokes that they were talking about, if you picked up on those cultural references to different songs, you were part of the club. Um, and Queer Pro Quo ended up being so famous that even National Theatre and other, you know, kind of highbrow entertainment theatres would reschedule their premieres around whatever was on at Quiproquo. And they would also work with Kripoko as well. Um, so that was one side of it, this kind of literary cabaret, really puns and wordplay were their kind of domain. Um, but then on the other hand, you had a cabaret called Morski Oko, which was sort of more influenced by the Casino de Paris. This was run by Ange Voist, who we'll talk about later, but this was away from the literary. This was more kind of visual pleasure. So the songs were very kind of sentimental, banal almost, but they became beloved by the whole of Warsaw, even though they were very kind of cheap and easy things to write. And they, um, be- they so- became
0: beloved because people were attending the cabarets uh, yeah. live? Or are we talking now about the beginnings of the record industry uh, in, in Poland?
1: So it's kind of a mixture of both. At the start, people go to the cabarets. This is mainly the kind of middle class, upper middle class going to the cabaret. Um, but the, the cabarets are drawing on the whole of Warsaw, basically. So they're parodying not just lower class but also upper class. So it becomes this world where they can upend the hierarchies, the kind of strict traditional hierarchies, and particularly the hierarchy that the right wing was trying to promote at the time. Um, And so they're they're churning out these wonderful songs, songs riddled with puns and wordplay, but also tangos. And this was criticised by the right wing as being this kind of primitive foreign dance. But they were just... Completely, Warsaw was almost voracious about about tango. It was really, really took hold. Um, in, so, in Warsaw and in Poland.
0: Before we listen to a tango in a moment, um, you're describing here something which is a common feature uh, of popular culture in any time period, which is a sense that the establishment reacts to it negatively and uh, perhaps with a sense of scandal, almost a moral scandal. We, mm-hmm. we find this at this time as well. You're saying the right wing reflect, uh, sort of reacting in particular to the tango as this foreign form. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the other types of music that were being played in these clubs at this time?
1: Absolutely. I mean, Quipoko, one of their features was called Shmonces, which were these parody songs. They did play um, kind of harmful stereotypes about Jewish characters, but they were written by Jewish writers, performed by Jewish actors, um, and they became not just a sort of parody of, of what it was like to be a kind of simulated Jew in Warsaw but also something that everyone could relate to so when the characters would sing about you know wanting desiring money or desiring to sleep with you know the best actress that there was that was something that kind of everybody in the city would, would also desire and so they became universal and I think that that's That's the most important thing. What's going on in these cabarets at this time is that everything became universalised. So nobody was othered. It was the whole of life just rolling out on stage, um, singing about relatable things, singing about streets, about clubs, about cafes that people would have gone to and singing about the upper Mm -hmm. and the lower classes as well.
0: You've already mentioned the tango is a key form of this period. Let's listen to one. And perhaps the most famous of the tangos of this period, certainly the one that I love the most. Uh, I remember the first time I heard this song it was in the film by Christoph Kieslowski, uh, Three Colors White, where this down and out character plays this tango or on a in an improvised instrument using a hair comb in the Paris metro where he's homeless, he's lost everything, and he plays this melancholy song. I then heard it as a sort of centerpiece of a well-known Russian film from the 1990s. We'll talk a bit about the career of some of this Polish music in the Soviet Union. Uh, that's Burnt by the Sun uh, by Nikita Mihalkov. The tango is, of course, To Ostadnyan It's The Last Sunday, which is this extraordinarily melancholy tune. It's a story of lost love or failed love or a love that's about to collapse. Let's listen to it and then you're going to tell us a little bit more about the song. It's composer Jerzy Petersburski and the history of tango in Interwar Poland.
2: Szukać wymówek Fakt, że skończyło się Dziś przyszedł drugi Bogatszy i lepszy ode mnie I wraz z tobą skradł szczęście me Jedną mam prośbę Może ostatnią Pierwszą od wielu lat Daj mi tę jedną niedzielę, ostatnią niedzielę A potem niech wali się świat To ostatnia niedziela Dzisiaj się rozstaniemy Dzisiaj się rozejdziemy Na wieczny czas To ostatnia niedziela Więc nie żaluj dla mnie Spojrzyj czule dziś na mnie Ostatni raz Będziesz jeszcze dość tych niedziel miała A co ze mną będzie, Któż to wie? Ostatnia niedziela, Moje sny wymarzone, Szczęście tak upragnione, Skończyło się.
0: An extraordinary song, and the words are very powerful as well. Um, this, give me this last Sunday, the last Sunday, and then let the world collapse. A potem niech świat. Can you tell us a bit about this song and then give us the background on the development of the tango, this Argentine form in interwar Poland?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this song was, as you say, extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily popular in interwar Poland. So the singer we were listening to was Mieczysław Fogg, who's probably one of the best known singers from this period, but also post-war as well. Um, and this song that he sung, it broke the album, pre-war album sale record. It sung 100 sold 100,000 copies. Um, and as a result, the director of the recording company, which was called Serena Electro, he gave uh, Fogg these gold and diamond cufflinks um, as a present. And Fogg himself, I mean, he, he was just this kind of schmaltzy singer, he'd sing this silver toned retro pop songs about, about everything. Um, and he was very well loved. Uh, pre-war he won a polish radio contest um for the most popular singer in 1937 and he was singing 150 songs a year he was he was a a kind of a very prolific um singer at the time and interestingly his name wasn't fog it was foygiel um and he changed it to fog and then added an extra g because he didn't want to be confused with the english word for fog um so he was the one singing this um, at this time, and it was written, as you say, by Jesse who was probably the central uh, proponent of tango in the period. He was an absolute titan. He came from a classical background, um, and he, he had also a Jewish background as well, but he quickly sort of realised that it wasn't classical music which was selling at the time, it was popular music. So he began to work with his cousins, who were the Gold brothers, Henrik and Arthur Gold, and they had little orchestras that would play in really, really glamorous cafes all over Warsaw. And they would use the new sounds coming over from the West. And one of these sounds was tango. Um, and it just, I mean, the whole of Warsaw and the whole of Poland. So, so tango
0: was was popular all over Europe at this yeah. time. It comes to Poland um, and it really takes off. Does it take specific form in Poland as well? Are there particular characteristics of the Polish tango?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the start, it's very much influenced by... The original kind of tango these razor sharp lines and, and melodies but then it becomes softer and slower and more vulnerable and it turns into this really melancholic almost anguished sound as, as we've just heard um, with these sort of screaming wailing violins and later the hawaiian guitar as well takes off um, and it seems to take hold because it's playing on the sort of stereotypical motifs, these traditional motifs in Polish music, very sentimental. So it becomes a romantic Mm -hmm. kind of song, but also this, I mean, I, I find it very interesting that tango really takes off in the 1930s when politics in Poland and across the world is becoming more kind of apocalyptic and dark. And so yeah. maybe it's something that they can relate to as well, that kind of really dramatic, dangerous flirting with danger that goes on in tango, but also but the it sorrow. Becomes,
0: it becomes almost a, a quintessentially Polish form in this period, even though earlier on those who were sort of arguing for more of a cultural purity were very critical uh, of the tango in Poland. Is that, is that the way this cultural debate unfolded to some extent?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the right wing press criticised tango as being this kind of primitive foreign dance. And because it is mainly Jewish artists writing it, that's another, you know, that it's condemned for being a, a Jewish song. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, really not pure Polish music, but it is the absolute standout music of the era completely. I mean, it it's just it's almost intoxicating in that way. It rolls, it rolls over you with these weeping, sad, sad motifs. And yet just completely and utterly. I mean, I'm, I'm besotted by it, as you can probably tell.
0: <laughs> and they, they were selling huge numbers of, the, of these records, uh, mostly uh, in this Serena record company. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the industry and how it was developing at this time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sirena was established in 1908 um, and went on. It, it achieved a lot of success before the First World War. Actually, it was selling um, thousands, producing thousands of records a day. Um, but initially it was klezmer bands and also street musicians and the early days of cabaret. So we're not talking about quiproquo here. We're talking about the kind of early, these, these experiments in cabaret that were going on before the First World War. And they were even selling to England at the time, so they produced these beautiful uh, records with pink labels, because in England at the time it was pink labels. Those were that that was what was on record, so they thought that they would, you know, try and get their foothold in that market. Um and then the factory is bombed in the first world war, but then it's resurrected in, in the interwar period. And this is really Serena's Haiti. So This all ties in with the development of radio as well, and Polish radio, which launches in the 1920s. Polish radio really wanted the kind of esteemed creme de la creme of of artists and musicians, and Serena could could feed them that. And the thing was that Polish radio, they would have problems sometimes with live recordings, so they wanted this already Mm -hmm. recorded material to play, and that was where Serena stepped in. And it was just churning out kind of you know woozy waltzes and devastating hot foxtrots and these shattering enchanting enchanting tangos, um, and it became in 1929 they were able to buy you know the best equipment for a clearer crisper sound. They changed their name to Sirena Electro, and these are the records that that I collect today. They have these sort of inky labels with a lyre and two gramophone horns picked out in gold and the sunburst which is obviously that that emblem of the art deco and they were recording um, not just polish content they were recording ukrainian content all sorts from all over the world and selling um, across the world as well and and very very popular in europe and they were selling mainly to the middle classes again uh, because it was sort of Comfortable prices, not, not too expensive. But they also had a sister company called Melodia Electro, which was a bit cheaper um, and more, kind of poorly poorly made version, but that was for up-and-coming artists as well. And they, I mean, they were just incredibly popular. The 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 first, and um, I, I think the best, um, recording company in Poland. And they were just going to the operas. They would have cramped recording sessions in theatres. They even had lewd recordings, which were only available under the counter. Um, and yeah, just, just recording the output from the cabarets and from film as well, which which we'll talk about later.
0: So let's play another one of these records. Uh, this one is perhaps arguably even more famous than Toastatya Nijela, and it was perhaps more popular at the time. The first big hit uh, in the tango genre, Tango Milonga, also written by Jerzy Petersbursky, um, and the lyrics written by Anj Voast, who you mentioned earlier, and whom we might discuss after the song. <laughs>
3: foi cheio de choro e Выезжай к нам, где ты,
0: So this song was not just a hit in Poland, but it became an international hit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the career of the tango milonga?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tango milonga, was this was 1929, and this was probably the moment when tango really took off, although it had been popular before. Um, and it's this, this story of, of someone demanding that an enchanting tango is played again to relive their memories. And it seems more confident than the Ostadno Nigello, which was 35, 1935. So you can see how tango changes over this period. And initially, um, tango milonga was was sung by Jordana, which was a, a group of revelers choir based on um, or inspired by the Mills brothers. And they had initially been called Coro Argentino Vaudano. So you can see how this kind of influence of the exotic and, and influence from, from Argentina really did filter through in the mm-hmm. early days of, of tango. And they, uh, their first concerts, they had painted sideburns, they had sombreros, um, and they sang in Spanish initially, and they were taught by the wife of a lingerie uh, factory owner. <laughs> um, but then the song, <laughs> the song kind of develops, and I mean, very, very quickly. So Sparsky takes it to Vienna. He performs there, and he sells it, sells it for three thousand shillings, which is obviously an astrono- astronomical amount of money at the time. Um, and from Vienna, it's turned into a German song, and then an English song under the title "Oh, Donna Clara." Um, and it's sung in America it's sung literally all around the world it's a really really popular song and you can tell why it's very very mature already even though this is 1929 this is 11 years after Poland's regained independence and yet they're churning out songs which are popular yeah. so this process develops
0: of. so quickly the now the, the words to this song are written by Andrzej Wast, um who's a very interesting and important figure in this period can you tell us a little bit about him
1: yeah, I mean, Wast, I think he was just, he was ridiculously talented. He was known as the king of trash because he was producing just thousands and thousands of songs. And he was also the director of the Morsky Oko Cabaret. So this cabaret with, with its opulent kind of visual spectacle that was based on the Casino de Paris. Um and he th- there was this urban legend that he could write songs in between sips of coffee. he was just <laughs> he was he was immensely popular and his songs were so popular that he wrote a song uh, a foxtrot called Chipani Mika sama um in nineteen twenty five and this kind of kick started thousands of songs, but well, probably not thousands, probably more like hundreds but but songs that began chipan because everyone wanted a taste of of what he had what he had managed to do. <laughs> And he was producing these very sentimental, banal songs and, you know, almost like it was it was very, very popular songs. So popular that he um, also helped promote the word, the Polish word for schlager, which is pschibui. Um And he, he organized a competition to find a Polish word that would work um, for schlager.
0: What does that word mean, schlager?
1: Um it's like a, a very light, kind of happy go lucky sentimental like the kind of hit you might hear in Eurovision, that kind of thing. And that's yeah. what Vost was doing. Th- okay. These kind of Eurovision esque hits.
0: There's real pop music of, of this time absolutely yep. absolutely
1: yeah and i mean he was also a businessman as well he had his own publishing house um his own logo that stamped on his his music um but he really he was very intelligent he understood um that it was very different a cabaret hits was popular because of the words um so it ended in a joke whereas a hit a kind of radio hit, a record hit what mattered was the melody so yeah. all you had to do is put together some really easy lyrics about love and heartbreak, and then you were good to go. Um, so, yeah, yes, so the thing about Vost was he, he also had a Jewish background as well. Um, so he did filter this in sometimes with some of his hits. He was also writing the Schmonsters that were played in Quid Pro Quo. Um, and the next hit that we're going to be talking about, he, he wrote the the words to this Well, too.
0: I mean, this is an extraordinary aspect of this period is the vast majority of the key figures uh, behind the, the popular music of this time have Jewish background. Of all the sort of biggest figures that we'll be talking about, that we're talking about today, it's actually easier to list those that don't have uh, Jewish background, but I mean, the, the songs that we've already looked at, um, you know, they're written by Jerzy Petersburski uh, and, and Zenon Friedwald wrote the, the words to Tor He ended up in Israel after the war. Andrei Vast, uh, we've mentioned. And uh, I mean, what was the reason uh, for this strong involvement uh, of, of Poles of Jewish descent uh, in the popular music scene? Is that something that's that's uh, it's possible to explain?
1: Well, I, I think cabaret became this sector where Jews could work and, and without facing as much discrimination as they would in other spheres. I mean, certainly there was discrimination. There were mm-hmm. protesters outside some of these cabarets. Sometimes the right-wing press attacked a lot of these artists, Andre Frost mm-hmm. in particular. They would criticise these, you know, they would criticise these kind of simple rhyming schemes and simple banal um, songs. But this still became a place where Jews could work fairly freely and you know, as I've mentioned, the Schmontzes, which were specifically about Jews, they became popular. The characters who played them became beloved across Warsaw. So I think it's in part that, and also because they were very, very talented musicians. They came from classically trained backgrounds, often had family in all corners of the world who could help them, you know, understand these the new trends in music, the new styles mm-hmm. that were coming through, um, and feed it into their music. And, I mean, something... That is important to say is that a lot of these artists did change their names, so they went under pseudonyms. Andrzej Wast that wasn't yep. his real name; uh, his real name was Gustav Baumritter. So they went mm-hmm. under pseudonyms for various reasons, whether that was to kind of. Yep. Um, so there were passes. there were
0: challenges to being yeah, a sure. public figure of Jewish background in interwar Poland. Um, that's for sure. Uh, let's turn to another song, actually, that that in a way embodies. Uh, this Jewish element in the popular culture of the time. It's a song by another singer, Adam Aston, uh, also of Jewish descent. Uh, The songwriter Zygmunt Biawostotsky and Andrzej Wast wrote the words. In fact, both Biawostotsky and Wast died in the Warsaw ghetto in 1942-43. So or it's not quite known exactly when they died. But I mean that gives a sense of what we'll move on to talking about, I think, which is the the way in which all of this cultural world is a lost world a world that was destroyed and part of that destruction is connected to the Holocaust in fact but let's listen to this song by Białostocki and Voast, sung by Adam Aston called Rebecca from 1933 <laughs>
3: Ty wymarzony, o ty wytęskniony, nie wiesz o tym przecież ty Że w małym miasteczku za tobą ktoś wypłakał z oczu łzy Że biedna Rebeka w zamyśleniu czeka, aż przyjedziesz po nią sam I zabierzesz ją jako żonę z Ten do pałacu bra. Ten krzyk, ten gwałt, ten cud Tak sobie wyobraża Boże mój Na rynku cały lód A na niej błyszczy biały, weselny stród O ty wymarzony, o ty wytęskniony, Któż ci serca tyle da Co Rebeka biedna, lecz to jest sen, Co całe życie trwa. Muzyka
0: This is this is an extraordinary song. I mean, it does again have this mournful sound. This time about uh, a jilted lover called Rebecca. Poor biedna Rebecca w Poor Rebecca is sitting lost in thought, and she's in this small town, which seems to be a shtetl. Rebecca is clearly a Jewish name. You have this aspect of uh, the Jewish Poland so strongly coming through with this song while it's mixed with this kind of sentimental themes of lost love and jilted, jilted lovers um, that's so typical of the songs of this period. Can you tell us a, a little bit about this song and Adam Aston?
1: Yeah, I mean, Rebecca, it even has Hasidic melodies as well. So it is a very, really? very good song. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, but it, it becomes immensely popular. There are various historians who've written about this who've said that it was so popular when it was being played in these beautiful cafes, people would go up and ask for it to be played again while it was still playing. So it was it was a, an immensely popular song. And I mean, that shows I, how... I've
0: I've been sitting here playing it to myself
1: <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly
0: over the last few days as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's intoxicating. It's a really, really powerful song. Um, And this version was sung by Adam Aston, who was also from a Jewish background. His uh, real name was Adolf Lernsson. But he changed his name to Aston. He was actually encouraged by another musician who we're also going to talk about called Henrik Vass, And Vass suggested that Aston change his name because the Polish uh, for ace of tone, which is As-Tonu, and then, you know, merge that together and it becomes Aston. So literally his name uh, showed how, how
0: the beauty of his mm-hmm.
1: voice. Uh, he had this kind of plush, velvety baritone. Really, really beautiful voice. Perfect pitch as well. He was trained in opera. Um, but he also saw the, the lucrative um, popular music sphere um, and went into that. And he, his day job, I, I always find this funny about him. He was working in a liqueur company the whole time, which was just around the corner from Serena. Uh, really? From yeah, he so never he, would, he never quit. No, he he would work in the company in the day, and then he would go go to the uh, recording company at night and record these songs. Um, and yeah, I mean he he was also recording in Hebrew. So one of the Hebrew songs that he records is a Hebrew version of Tostatnuy Jella, which is changed into Tostatnia Shabbos, the last Sabbath. And he was probably one of the main people recording in Hebrew at the time. This was Serena's Hebrew kind of outputs, which was in the nineteen thirties they decided to do this as Jews were emigrating. So these songs, the Hebrew versions, take on an even more melancholic, mournful um sound if that if that were possible, because it's it's sort of nostalgia for a lost world. By the nineteen time of the nineteen thirties, I mean you things are Getting uh, you know very dangerous for Jews, um, in in Poland. So it's it's this nostalgia for what was lost, but also this celebration of uh, you know the the, the world that once was and the talents that were there. Um, so yeah, as I say Aston Aston very very popular. He ended up um going to Lviv during the war, which we'll also talk about later and went with the Anders' army through the Middle East, through Italy, settled in South Africa. So I mean that's a a, that's time. an
0: important thing here that both mm-hmm. Yege Petersborsky and Aston and a few others as well ended up on this extraordinary odyssey having been exiled into the Soviet Union at the beginning of the Second World War and, and ended up on this odyssey with the, uh, ar- the army of uh, General Władysław Anders through Central Asia into the Middle East uh, and Aston w- w- did he end up in Italy? Um, He
1: did, yes. And one of the songs he sings in Italy, um, which is, it's even a sort of wartime recording, is mm -hmm. um, the Red Poppies on Monte Cassino, which is now a kind of anthem. It's a classic, so
0: referring to this battle at Monte Cassino that uh, that Polish soldiers played a key role in, uh, in the Allied campaign in Italy.
1: Yeah, and he, Aston, ends up in South Africa for a time, then he moves to London. But his career, like a lot of these artists, it was, it was never the same. And he pretty much died in obscurity in the 1990s um, and his remains are scattered in, in Golders Green crematorium. But there's, there's nothing there. There's no plaque or marker or anything like that. So, you know, from, from this beautiful voice and someone who survived the war, despite being of, of Jewish origin, everything is just vanished.
0: Some tragic stories from this period, and and as I said, the Holocaust sort of marks uh, part of this world that was destroyed by uh, the German uh, occupiers of Poland uh, during the war. Uh, Let's move on to film music. So a, a good part of the popular music of this period, in a way, migrates from the cabarets, as far as I understand, you can tell us more about this, eventually into the cinema. And perhaps let's start by listening to one of the famous songs from a film of this period. Uh, and this is a song sung by uh, Hanka Ordonufna, who also had an experience of exile to a Soviet camp uh, during the war. The song is from a 1933 film called Szpieg w masce, uh, or The Spy in the Mask. The song is called Miłosz i Wszystko uh, Love Will Forgive You Everything. It's written by Henrik Vars, who we can talk about uh, in a moment, another of these Polish-Jewish figures, and Julian Tuwim, uh, who's perhaps the best-known poet of the interwar uh, period, uh, and also uh, of Jewish descent. Extraordinary the, the, this this influence of this hybrid culture in interwar Poland. Let's listen to Mioczyf Wybacze. <laughs>
4: Zamieni ci w śmiech Miłość tak pięknie tłumaczy Z i kłamstwo i grzech Choćbyś ją przeklął w rozpaczy Że jest okrutna i zła I wszystko wybaczy Bo milka, Mój miły ja.
5: Gdy pokochasz Tak
4: mocno jak ja Tak skrubię Żarliwie tak wiem to ostatka Do szalu Do dna Pozdradzaj mnie Kiedy i grzech Miłość ci wszystko wybaczy Smutek zamieni ci w śmierć Miłość tak pięknie tłumaczy Władze i klamstwo i grzech Choćbyś ją przeklął w rozpaczy, że jest okropna i zła, miłość Ci wszystko wybaczy, bo mi.
0: So, could you tell us a little bit about music in film and, and the development of the film industry in the 1930s?
1: Yeah, I mean, film in the 1930s really does draw from cabaret. So it's almost like when the cabarets shut because they've been spending too much money, everything kind of migrates to film. So it's the same characters as they had in cabaret; the, the actors playing the same characters. Um, and in a way, these films almost become very cliched and sort of predictable because you know you know what the characters are going to sing about Ordo Novna, for example, she, I mean, she was a fantastic actress, but very kind of winsome and sincere, very romantic, even more so when she ended up marrying um, a real life count. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of fairy tale became okay. real. So he was a, a big, big superstar at the time. And she would perform in films in very similar roles to uh, she had in, in the cabarets and so would other um, actors and artists as well. But yeah, a lot of the films did use cabaret style, um, you know, performances. So they would have comic skits. They would have songs. So many of these films have a few centerpiece songs that have since become very, very popular. Um, this Miłoszki Kisko Bacce is one of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a different world. But I, I, this is what I, I love about about this whole period is that All of these artistic spheres, so we've talked about literature a bit, we've talked about music and film, they are all the same people working in the spheres. I mean, Ilan Tuvim, for example. That is amazing. Yeah, I I wasn't aware of that
0: before that Tuvim was writing things for um, these very popular venues.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's that merging between kind of highbrow yeah, yeah. culture and, and lower... Well,
0: let, lower let's culture. talk about the biggest name uh, of cinema of this period. I, I think so. Maybe you can confirm if I'm right about that. And, and that is um, Elgenius Bodo. And we're going to listen to a couple of songs uh, from his most famous films. But can you tell us a little bit about this character who sort of looms large in the 1930s?
1: Yeah, I mean, Bodo was really kind of like the poster boy of the whole period. He was named King of the Polish Screen. He was a fantastic comic, also um, had a career in cabaret before before film, but he really made his name in film. He um, was an actor, a singer, even a film producer by the end, and a cafe owner. And he had this kind of vivacious dynamism to him, which was, I mean, there were actors doing completely different things who were equally as successful, equally as, as loved, but Bodo really did have this, almost electric persona and he i mean the the press would just be full of gossip every day about you know which what, what girlfriend he had that kind of thing but he was really interesting in that his private life away from the screen away from the stage was very kind of domestic in the home he lived with his mother he loved his dogs he loved his stamp collection so he was a very different character you know on and off um screen on and off stage And he I mean, we're going to we're going to go into a couple of songs that he performed, but he was always it was those kind of schmaltzy songs again, those sort of joyous songs about about love and happiness and and sometimes heartbreak. But his sort of real life, his private life, he did have this massive event in in 1929, which was he was driving a car which crashed um, and one of his friends died in this car crash. So that did change things a little bit and he he went on trial for this and he was even in in film makeup and he used his his um, original name. His his name wasn't Bodo. Bodo came from his initials Bodan and his mother's name Dorota uh, merged together Mm -hmm. as well. So, again, another example of pseudonyms. But, yeah, he was amazingly talented too.
0: Well, let's listen to one of these songs now. Uh, one from a film from 1937 called Piętro Vege. The song, or sort of the, the floor above, uh, the song is called Umówiłem się z nią na dziewiątą. Uh, so, I made a date with her for nine o'clock. Uh, the song's written by Henrik Vars, again, this figure that we talk about briefly in a second, and the words by Emanuel Schlechter, um, who is another figure who died in the Holocaust. Uh, he was in the Lwów ghetto and then probably died in the Janowska camp in Lwów in 1942. Uh, but this is Eugeniusz Bodo singing Umuviom się nią na dziewiątą.
6: Piąta, piętnaście, odczyt rolniczy. Szósta, trzydzieści, płyty. Siódma, pięć, słuchowisko dla dzieci. Ósma, cztery, jakaś płyta. Ósma, dziewięć, ktoś coś czyta. To nieważne. Najważniejsze dziś jest ona. Pierwsza, siódma, trzecia, piąta. Ktoś mi wszystko dziś poplątał, ale jedno, jedno wiem. Umówiłem się z nią na dziewiątą. Tak mi do niej tęskno już. Zaraz wezmę od szefa a konto, kupi im u piecik krusz, Potem kino, cukiernia i spacer, księżycową jasno noc. I będziemy szczęśliwi, weseli, aż przyjdzie północ i nas pozbieli. I umówię się z nią na dziewiątą, na dziewiątą, tak jak dziś. Jak ten czas powoli leci, pierwsza, druga, pół do trzeciej, do dziewiątej jeszcze tyle, tyle godzin. Gdyby można zrobić czary, ponapędzać te zegary, by dziewiąta była już. Bo umówiłem się z nią na dziewiątą, tak mi do niej już. Zaraz wezmę od szefa a konto, kupi jej bukiecik róż. Potem kino, cukiernia i spacer, księżycowo jasno no I będziemy szczęśliwi, weseli, aż przyjdzie północ,
0: now that song, as we said, was written by Henryk Vars, uh, another key figure uh, of this period in Polish music. Can you tell us a little bit about him before we listen to another one of his songs also sang by uh, Bodo?
1: Yeah, so Vass was known as the king of Polish jazz. He was one of these forerunners of jazz in the period. There were other musicians playing jazz at the time, but he seemed to have this gift for writing, again, these very, very sentimental songs. But unlike other artists like Andrzej Wast, who were inspired by, you know, places in Paris that they visited, Vass was able to create them kind of himself organically and he was so popular he he also had this kind of classical background in a way and then and then moved into popular music and started writing for the cabarets first um And apparently the story goes that when he he had this first song in a cabaret, his family were, you know, hammering on the door of the uh, recording studio and the the shop saying, why isn't the record out yet? You know, we're so proud of our son. Um, So he he ended up being a very important artist on the cabaret scene, but also, and more importantly, in film. So he was known as a young veteran of film composition because he wrote about maybe a third of um all of the interwar films uh, the majority of which were made and produced in in warsaw um he would write the music for them so as as we've said you know these these three songs that we're going to be talking about they were all written by him composed by him and he was so so talented that after the war he ended up in hollywood and initially he didn't have a lot to show for his Pre-war career. He um, obviously the, a lot of the records have been lost, but then he became friendly with John Wayne and started writing for westerns. And his big break in Hollywood was the theme tune to Flipper, the, the series about the dolphin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's rather if, an
0: unlikely conclusion to his career. Well exactly. I mean, yeah.
1: it's it's a completely different a different world as well. But but it shows some of these artists, the artists who managed to survive um, in these terrible circumstances. They they some of them did go on. To have careers. Another example of course is fog.
0: Well let's listen to one more song sung by Eugenius Bodo. This time he's singing with Adolf Dimscha in the nineteen thirty eight very popular comedy caper film, Paweł i This song is also written by Henryk Wars. Uh, the words are written by Ludwik Starski. And it's a kind of lullaby. And in fact, I love this song. I even uh, sang this song to my son when he was a baby as a kind of lullaby. And I'm sure there are people in Poland uh, who've done the same. It's called Ach, śpij kochanie. Oh, sleep, darling. It's a wacky scene in the film's rather silly plot as a grown woman pretending to be a child asks two grown men to sing her to sleep to their increasing irritation. It's a funny song. Let's hear it.
4: Sadusiu, usiądź przy mnie dopóki nie zasnę i opowiedz mi
6: bajeczkę. Bajeczka opowiadać, no. Dobrze. Bajeczka, jeśli zachciało. Zagraj jej coś. No pomóż się. Zaśnij. W górze tyle gwiazd, dole tyle miast. Gwiazdy miastu dają znać, że dzieci muszą spać. A śpij, kochanie, jeśli gwiazdki z nieba chcesz, to o, Czego pragniesz, daj mi znać, ja ci wszystko mogę dać, Wiedz więc dlaczego nie chcesz spać? A śpij, Bo nocu, kiedy gwiazdy się na niebie złocą, wszystkie dzieci nawet zle pogrążone są myśnie, a ty jednak tylko nie. A, 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 a były sobie kotki dwa, a, a, a kotki dwa, szarą górę, szaroburę, obydwa, a w śpi. O właśnie, ciążę i i za chwilę zaśnie. A gdy rano przyjdzie świt, księżyc co będzie wstyd, że on zasnął, a nie ty. A a Były sobie kotki dwa, Aaaa, kotki dwa, szaro szaro dwa, a śpiwo wolaśnie, księżyc się i za chwilę zaśnie, a gdy rano przyjdzie świt, księżyc o będzie wstych. rząd za sto, a nie ty. Jeszcze,
5: to takie ładne.
6: Aaaa, były sobie kotki dwa, a, a, a kotki dwa. Sharabure,
5: sharabure, obedvah, shpi, oh, yeah, ah, shi 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 shi,
0: Now, it's quite a tragic story what happened to Eugenius Bodo during the war. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah, I mean, Bodo went with Vass and with other musicians. Um, when war broke out, they fled to Lvov. And Henrik Vass being Henrik Vass, he set up this two jazz orchestra that played, they toured across the Soviet Union for a time. So um, they were in
0: Lvov because, of course, Poland in '39 uh, was divided, partitioned again, really, between mm-hmm. Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. And particularly for people of Jewish descent, it was safer to be in the Soviet part. And so many of these artists moved across. And, and some of them ended up in Lvov, including Hendrik yeah. Vars. Uh, but Bodo, uh, who's not of Jewish descent, of course, he, he was with him. He was with Vars in Lvov. and then in the he so- was,
1: yeah. And he was even producing records um, at the time. They were produced in, in Moscow um, in Russian because uh, a lot of his artists could speak Russian as well, so they were able to sing in Russian. But what happens to Bodo is he has a Swiss passport. So at one point, probably around about 1941, he realizes that the war—it's not looking great in Europe. Um, To put it bluntly, so he he kind of thinks, you know, I need to escape from Europe. He has a Swiss passport from his father, but obviously having two passports is very, very suspicious to the Soviets who then arrest him and he just disappears. And their line, the Soviets kind of said, well, you know, he was killed by the Germans. Um, But this kind of went on until maybe, I've heard it was about the 1990s that this was revealed that Bodo actually died. Um, He was taken uh, to the Gulag and and, and died of starvation in 1943. And there were these utterly haunting pictures of him um, looking, you know, completely beaten up and and, and looking like he'd kind of died already, um, which were taken shortly before he died. So, I mean, you know, the most tragic end for one of these electric stars and, and so I, many of these stories were tragic too.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I find when I look at those pictures that it, it, I mean, it's almost a symbol of what happened to the interwar Polish Republic, this sort of destruction by Nazi Germany on the one hand, but also in part by, by the Soviet Union and the destruction to... Uh, around 20% of Poland's population, half of those Jews but also non-Jews like like Bodo who who perished in Soviet captivity and these pictures, I mean, as you say they're haunting as this representation of a world that's destroyed, of a lost world. Another symbol of that lost world in a way is the city of Lwów itself that you've mentioned. So this eastern city that was in the interwar Polish Republic is now Lviv in the west of Ukraine, was included in the Soviet Union after the war and it's uh, not a Polish city anymore and uh, or a Polish Jewish city really as it was uh, before the war and in that way it also symbolizes what was lost. Uh, But in the interwar period Lwów was a very specific place with a specific type of culture um, that had an effect on the broader cultural sphere in Poland. Can you tell us a little bit about Lwów before we hear one of the famous songs of Lwów uh, from a film of the period?
1: Yeah, I mean, Lavov, a lot of the artists who were in the Cabres and later on in films came from Lavov, but also they, uh, I don't know if you would have picked up on this, but a lot of these songs have um, this very distinct. Accent um, that the Lvovian mm-hmm. accent, the accent of the borderlands, and it's something that Nor- Polish today, modern modern day Polish, is not spoken in this way. It's very very different. Um, so again, it was this influence of minority cultures. That, you can um,
0: particularly hear that in the pronunciation of the l instead yeah. of the what would now be our w. the the, the l uh, letter, very distinctive.
1: Yeah, definitely, and once you start hearing these songs, you really do um, pick up on that each time. So there are various reasons for this, um, or reasons that are attributed to this. A lot of people say it was because of kind of Russianism um, across the area. That's why the the l is pronounced differently, or it was because in the theatre um, actors had to enunciate what they were saying, um, and so the word was not corrupted into as it as it is today. But as I say, so many stars are from Lviv. A very famous couple who had a fantastic um, radio show that was on Polish radio in in the 1930s were called Sztekko and Toinko. I absolutely love these two. (laughs) They were brilliant. I mean, they were just raucous and vivacious, um, and their, their radio show was called L'Aviv's Merry Wave and it was incredibly popular. It was there estimates that six million people were listening um, to the broadcast in the interwar period. So that's maybe like one sixth of the Polish population at the time. Extraordinary. Um, yeah, and an this accent kind of comes from them as well, but it's very very pervasive. This this very distinct uh, borderlands Lavuvian accent. Um, so-, so
0: Szczepko i Tonko they, they represent uh, this culture of the so called um mm-hmm. which is an untranslatable world that uh, comes from uh, Hungarian originally, so Baciage or batiaze. Um and it's a local Lviv. Hooligan, in a way, is one way, or rascal, scallywag is one way to sort think about how to understand it. And it's about this kind of street life in Lvov with particular social characteristics and particular linguistic characteristics represented by these two characters, uh, Szczepko and Tonko, uh, in hilarious form in these radio dialogues uh, that they did. But they also ended up uh, on the screen, didn't they?
1: Uh, yes they did and the song that we're about to play um, which is called Only in Lviv this was produced in 1939 so this was one of the last films um, that was produced in the interwar period uh, that was called it's kind of translated a bit of like vagabonds, um, the title of the film, but it was again this kind of Levovian take on on life, really. Yeah. Um, and this song, very very uh, vivacious, again lots of energy in the song. But it also this ended up having a new history in the war. This was one of the songs that was um, sung in performed in Russian by Bodo. So probably one of Bodo's last recordings and the lyrics change as well. So instead of only in Lvov, it becomes, we are waiting for you in Lvov. So almost this invitation, perhaps to to artists who could get to Lvov to come and join Henrik Vass' jazz Orchestra.
0: Well, let's listen to the song "Lvov jest jeden na świecie or Tylko w Lwówie, as it's more often known from the film Wuczengi or Vagabonds this song also written by the team of Henrik Vars and Emanuel Schlechter as I said Schlechter who wrote the words to this song is from Lwów and he died in Lwów in the Holocaust uh, in 1942 the song is a celebration of Lwów that there's no other city like it that it's a city of song and joy and life on on the street, represented by these two characters, Stepco and Tonko. <laughs> Śpiewy
6: przy Tulu i wódzący ty snu,
2: tylko we Lwowi.
6: I bogać, i dziad, to co so za pan brat? I każdy ma uśpiew na twarzy. A panem to ma słonciutki ten grób, jak soczy kulada i mniód. Nigdy bym się kiedyś urodzić miał dnów, tylko we ško I szkoda
5: katania
6: wódzący Nie ma jak Bóg. Poźnili się dużo ładniejszych jest miast, lecz Bóg to jest jeden na świecie. I z niego wyjechać, tak gdzieś ja bym mógł. ta mamcią co to skaźnie, Bóg.
2: Bo gdzie jeszcze ludziom tak dobrze jak to?
6: i Bober, Boję! Gdzie śpiewam, gdzie to ludzie budzą ze snu? Ty, И mowie! I bogaczniej dziadku, z łosa pan brat, I każdy ma uśmiech na twarzy. A pan by tu ma i ten grud, Jak sok, czekolada i miut. Nigdy się urodzić miał znowu. i
0: So I suggested that Lwów is sort of this symbol of a lost world, the lost world of interwar Poland and its culture. Now, there are attempts to recover this world, not not, not just of Lwów, but of interwar Polish culture in general, the cabarets, the songs, the films. I know you're very interested in this and that you're exploring these rediscoveries in contemporary Warsaw. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this process?
1: Yeah, I mean, the retro certainly seems to be coming back into fashion, I guess, maybe because it's a hundred years since Poland regained independence, obviously two years ago, um, and nearly a hundred years since these songs and these cabarets were really in their heyday. But there are so many bands now. There are bands mostly based in Poland, also people with Polish roots um, reviving this music, playing in in Jewish festivals, um, but also people trying to archive this and releasing new CDs of of lost songs. So there are various CDs that have been uh, released in in recent years of a lot of the Hebrew songs Songs, songs that were sung in Hebrew, but also Polish tangos. There's a very uh, an amazing website. I, I love it, and you could get lost on it. It's called Stara Melodia or Old Old Melody, and that's mm-hmm. basically the the best archive that there is of all mm-hmm. of this. Um, they are trying to record not only the the actual um, songs that were sung, but who wrote them, who performed them in various ways, even if they don't necessarily have information on the the lyricist maybe or the composer or even sometimes they don't have the lyrics or sometimes they'll have the lyrics but not the recording but they're trying to get you know the the best archive that they can of what was going on in this period and how widespread it was but but as I say this is certainly being revived there are various people people trying to sing this as it was but also people put in their own spin on it so more modern uh, styles as well alongside these beautiful mm. Classic kind of evergreen music, the sentimental music, um, which I love. And I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that it's not, you know, yes, so much was lost in the war and particularly artists who were, you know, killed in the war. It's, it's so tragic, so heartbreaking, but their music does live on.
0: Juliette, I know that you're also an important part uh, of continuing the legacy of that music yourself and all the work that you're doing. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for joining me on the Notes from Poland podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, I really love talking about it.